Life is made of experiences, conversations, and stories. You're not going to find these by laying back and letting Netflix, Hulu, and Disney program your reality. You gotta get out there and experience life for yourself. You gotta seek those experiences, join those conversations, and listen to those stories that tell a vision and black mirror devices don't want you to seek. Welcome to False Reality Check, a podcast where the only rule is you must be your real, authentic self. I'm Buffalo. And I'm Legs. Join our conversations as we learn about and break down the lies we've been sold. Laugh, cry, and think with us and our friends as we discuss how we can liberate ourselves from this false reality, one conversation at a time. Welcome to False Reality Check. I'm Buffalo. And I'm Lakes. Hello. Hello, hello. How's everybody doing? <laughs> I don't know. We don't can know. They, can they talk to us? They can't. Okay. Not through the screen, I don't think. Well, that's a silly question. Yeah. I don't know why'd you ask that. You asked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, welcome y'all um, to another fabulous episode of FRC. Um, today, we're joined by a gentleman from a land where cows will casually eat a snake and people will casually drink their faces off. He hit the podcast scene late last year with his fantastic show, You're Missing the Point, which explores both the weird and wonderful aspects of life. Whether he's on his show or a guest, he always gives a unique perspective on any topic, and we are super excited to have him with us today. Everyone, please welcome Drew Missin to FRC. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hey guys, thanks for the welcome. That was awesome. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I mean, it's all true. That uh, meme you posted yesterday of the cow eating a snake really freaked me out. Is I'm that, not going to lie. Is that real? <laughs> that, that, that would be real. I dare say it would be that the cows are in a drought up there and they're not getting enough protein, so they've just resorted to eating anything around them. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine our cows over here eating snakes. <laughs> something wrong about that but it's australia anything anything is uh i feel like anything can happen there yeah they have giant spiders i'm surprised you don't have snake fed beef over there that's so strange (laughs) i mean maybe we do and we're just not aware but i personally (laughs) haven't seen any photos of cows munching on snakes our snakes are are pretty strong here and our cows are pretty weak (laughs) so i don't think that's possible just means your cows are sly and they're doing it after hours Mm, they're doing it at night when we're not looking there you go (laughs) it's crazy oh man but anyways welcome to the show uh drew this is awesome that you're here with us today and um you know we have various topics we'd like to cover with you but we'll just see where the conversation goes it can really go anywhere um just let's just start off give us a little background on yourself um for those that may not be familiar with you and your work and uh We'll just go from there. Yeah, I'm I'm Drew Misson. I started a podcast uh, last year as my kind of response to everything that had happened during COVID. And I was kind of over the world and need to get my voice out a bit because I really wasn't getting anyone to listen to me back home. So 
I listen to it like you guys, Moral Bob, um, The Great Deception, all those types of great podcasts in the States. And I was finding that I had more in common with people all the way across the other side of the planet than I, I do in my own backyard. So oh, I man. started off as a listener, reached out to a bunch of people and started my own show. And yeah, it's, for me, it's more of just a, it's almost like a therapeutic means for me to talk to people and and form a little community of my own that hopefully I can replicate in person in Australia at some point. Right on. Yeah. Or maybe one day if you're a refugee, we can just sponsor you to come here and you can just live here amongst people that, that think the same way as you do. <laughs> or, or you could just liberate Australia. Like it needs some freedom at this point. I'll, I'll get on that. I think we can order some Tomahawk missiles and I don't know what else yeah. we can get in Idaho, let's, but I'm sure we can get much. Let's 3D print some missiles. Yeah, I think you can do that. <laughs> Very much appreciate it. I'll have those next week. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a different world down there. Um, especially with what happened the last three, four years. Has it really been that long? I don't know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really came out to where you guys... You're on an island, you know, it's kind of hard to escape. <laughs> and whatever the government system that you have there says, it's like the people kind of have no choice. And um, I know there's some folks, I'm sure there's more of you out there. There has to be, you can't be the only lone soul that has uh, just things for themselves, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they made it, at least here in the States, they made it seem like, your government has completely taken away everything from you and you have no choice to do anything. I know you guys don't have guns. You kind of gave that up. And so guns here are very important to us. We have them, but are there, are you finding any other people like yourself that are kind of resisting the totalitarianism of the government? Uh, in my state, it's a bit hard. We had like 150,000 people leave the state during COVID to try and get away from it. Um, wow. My state of Victoria was the one that locked down the hardest, had the hardest measures, the hardest restrictions. And I think the majority of people either were A, happy for it to happen, B, were just going along to get along and hoping it would end, and C, they just didn't see any other option and they just kind of went into their cave. So I've got one good friend who I talk to this stuff about, but beyond that, Everyone thinks you've got two heads if you start talking about this type of stuff or you acknowledge that, you know, we did have a lot of freedoms taken away and you get the constant response of, well, you know, you just got to do the right thing or if, if, you've got, if you've got nothing to hide or if you've got nothing to hide, then why are you worried about getting in trouble? That type of a deal where big daddy government's seen as the saviour. Right. Oh, my gosh. And I'm not too familiar with Australia in terms of, are there pocket like rural pockets where people can escape to if they want to farm or be more self-sufficient? Like, like for us, for example, we left California for Idaho because we knew this area that we're in will have some kind of freedom compared to what we grew up in. Is, is that even a thing where you're at? Um, when, it come, when it came to the COVID measures, Australia-wide had it, every single state. There wasn't there one the one holdout state like a Miami or anything like that where people could all rush to. Every state went hard on it to their own degree. But it's a lot like the states. It's our capital cities in each state tend to be where the left-leaning governments hold a lot of power and that's where they draw their votes from to maintain a controlling government. 
where all the regional areas are considered um, traditional or conservative. Um, but it's a traditional conservative where they still trust big government and they don't question it. That's the difference between Australian conservatives and American. Um, I think American conservatives, even though there was the MAGA people and everything like that, that a lot more conservatives in America are more open to question their own government because they've got that history of fighting against tyranny where we've got a history of being convicts. So we're either descended from our jailers or we're descended from the jailed. That's right. <laughs> I, I forgot about that part. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> that, maybe that's why you guys can drink so well. Every Australian well, I've ever met has been able to outdrink me and everybody that I know. Well, our current, very first currency in this country was rum, and we had a rebellion over it. So nice, nice. <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah, y'all, y'all know how to party for sure. <laughs> yeah, we we. We grew up in LA and LA is um LA is a transplant capital of the world. So most of our people from or from L nobody's from LA. Like if you say you're from LA, oh dropped. Back there. Oh, oh, there we go. Are you back? Yeah. All right. Yeah, mo most people that are that are in LA are transplants. No one is really from LA unless you really, really were born there. We weren't even born in Los Angeles. We were born in suburbs of cities around Los Angeles. So we technically aren't from there, but everybody that I know of is a transplant to LA. And we just have a, a remarkable number of Australians in LA that have just totally adapted to everything. In fact, um, one of our favorite uh, musicians uh, is actually there. It's a group. It's from, they're from Australia, Rufus Dussol. We're not, I'm not sure if you know who they are, but yeah. Yep. They just had a concert down here. Oh yeah. yeah. They're nice. great. We love them. We went to their concerts twice, at least. Yeah, we went to a few of them. Yeah. So we we are very familiar with how fun Australians can be. And we feel for you. We really honestly do. It's, um, I wish there was a place that you could escape to. But I'm, I'm understanding when you're, when you're, uh, your whole country is an island, it's really hard to even emigrate there, right? Like, like if, if you were to just show up on a boat, they would... Like there's a coast guard that would arrest you and take you off to like a detention center offshore. And then, and then maybe you're allowed to come in. Is that, is that true? Uh, we had a, we've got a really hard border protection policy where because of our proximity to Southeast Asia, there's quite a few boat people that try to get into Australia, refugees, um, which are picked up by the Navy and they're taken to a, a holding place called uh, Christmas Island um, or they're taken out to the outback where there's nothing for them to escape to even if oh, they did man. escape. And they go through the process of trying to seek asylum that way. But really, if you wanted to get into Australia, it'd be the same thing as trying to get into America via Mexico. You just have a visa. You say you're going on holiday and you don't leave. For sure. They just disappear. That's got to be the easiest way, surely. <laughs> Noted. Well, you should go on a holiday and then, you know, we'll just see if you go back or not. Yeah. Come here on holiday. Yeah, it's, it's, that's cool. I love hearing... Um, things about countries I'm not too familiar with. You know, it's the US or nothing. You know, that's all I that's all we know. <laughs> and whatever whatever the news tells us. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, we've been to Mexico. Oh yeah. I don't want to go to Canada though. Why? Because it just doesn't seem good. <laughs> that's not a good reason. I'd, ra I'd rather go to Australia <laughs> than Canada at this point. They're oh. just as bad. Oh I see what you're saying. I'm yeah. Saying. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, um Drew the from what I understand um, you're involved in the education system down in Australia, correct? That I am. I'm a government school teacher. Right on. 
That's exciting. Um, I'm, we're not familiar with the education system in Australia. Could you give us just a rundown of the school yeah. system? I mean, here in the States, we have public or private school for grades K through 12, which mm -hmm. is what, five, ages five to 18. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, you can go into higher education, college indoctrination if you want. The whole system is indoctrination um, if you go, if you give your kids the government. But what is it like in Australia? Is it kind of the same? Same deal. Uh, now I'd say so. Yes, it's uh, our public system. I no longer refer to as public. I call it government because you've got no choice. You hand your kids over to a government system, whether you've got fantastic teachers or not. It's it still has the government in control of it. Uh, yeah, same type of thing. We've got um, primary school or what you would call elementary school. That's what I teach, and then we have separated high schools um, from year seven, year through to year twelve um, before university in that higher education uh we've got a nationalized curriculum um for whatever reason my state thinks they're a little bit better than everyone else and we've got our own state curriculum which sits above that wow uh um yeah everything's heavily regulated curriculum is very broad and very in-depth so much that one of our so-called educational experts said that to teach our curriculum, it would take 21 years of learning. So you'd be well <laughs> older than what you would be when you graduate primary school. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is wild. So it's, wow. I, so it's heavily governed and basically are, they provide you the syllabus and you just have to follow it. There's no deviating from it. That's the funny thing. They give you a curriculum and they give you a, um, a content descriptor of what the students need to learn and what it might look like. But your delivery as an educator, it's like all things, it's up to your interpretation of what the curriculum says, right? So if you're pretty switched on and you know how to use that curriculum, you can teach what it really should be. And unless you've got some ball breaker principals or leadership in a school who think you're doing the wrong thing, you can do the right thing within a school still. That's the only thing that keeps me in the system at the moment is that I think that if I'm not there, um, God knows what's going to happen in schools if there's not any teachers that speak out against all this socialist crap that's coming down the pipeline. Wow. So have you, have you ever been pulled aside or said, you know, has, has any children or child that you've taught, have they told their parents like, They're te he's teaching me this and they get mad and go and report you and you get pulled aside for it or anything like that? No, I'm pretty popular. Kids love me. Um, All right. I've, I'm known as the the teacher in staff meetings. It's very opinionated. Uh, <laughs> always <laughs> gives their two bobs worth. Um, but at the same time, I get a lot of people in leadership that say they actually really value it because especially in education, I don't know if it's the same in your country, that there's a lot of yes men and people just say yes to make it look like they're doing the right thing or they're going along. And that's where issues arise. So I'd encourage more teachers out there to stand up a little bit and have a bit of backbone. And if you see something that's in curriculum, even if it's a mandated curriculum and you feel it's morally wrong or it's at the detriment of students, you have the obligation as a teacher to actually speak out for them and, and their interests. Wow. That is, that is really unique compared yeah. to, I mean, there are a few good teachers in the American school system. Definitely. Um, but these days it, it just seems like it's it's gone downhill like i don't want to i'm just gonna say it there's a lot of like 
gay people, not nothing against gay people, but just, you know, gay men teaching children. And sometimes they speak out about their partner and, you know, that, that confuses the children even more when they probably shouldn't be hearing that in, in grade school. Not when, not when your child's like five. And yeah, this is, this is just one example of many things that have been popping up these last few years with uh, our school system. But yeah, I, I would say from, I went to public school um, all the way through through high school you went to private in high school private in high school but yeah there were a lot of teachers just you know doing the same thing every year they had the they had what they had to teach and it it just repeat the next year you know there really wasn't an effort um to really teach the kids what they thought and um I don't know. It was very yes, man, I, I would say. Yeah. I had a bit different experience in private school. Um, the curriculum was a, is a, it's a set curriculum for the state that we have to ensure that we hit certain marks and our teachers followed that, but they had very wide latitude on how to teach, what to teach to get us to that point to pass tests so that we could, you know, exemplify to the state that we weren't being miseducated so to speak. So I, I enjoyed my high school experience because I could debate back and forth with the teachers. I had teachers who were conservative. I had teachers who were liberal and I knew kind of both sides and I got, I got to learn both sides. Could you give us maybe like an example of something that is in your curriculum as a required or mandatory thing to teach that you would creatively teach in a way that gives the truth, so to speak? <laughs> Okay, we have a, it's a brand new one. I think it's taking a leaf out of the, the, the LA or the New York school-based system where we have a mandated curriculum called Respectful Relationships. And on face value, it's actually a really important thing. In Australia, we have a really high, particularly in Victoria, we have quite a high domestic violence um, situation happening. Oh, wow. So as a means, the government, and I use this in air quotes, the government, try to solve this by mandating a curriculum where you actively teach respect to students in school. The issue that's come out of it is it heavily targets boys and men as being the issue, uh, even though there is domestic violence amongst um, both genders. And in addition to that, it also has all of this woke ideology, gender affirmation, transgender, LGBTQI plus type of stuff thrown into it that you can tell was added in and they never read the full paper and that's what's also being taught. So primary school age students or elementary age, whatever you guys call it, those students are actively being taught about uh, gender affirmation, sexuality, things that are really shouldn't be touching. Um, and it's all done without parent permission. It's mandated, has to be done. Wow. That's, that's kind of way over. This, this was something that was not voted on. This was just something some bureaucratic whatever put into the system. Yeah. Yep. So an education minister um, was given a portfolio by a premier to say, solve this problem. And they went, yeah, okay. They went off and spoke to their uh, university led left-wing holdouts who tried to push their own agenda at the same time. So it's in schools. Parents can dismiss their dislike about it, but it doesn't stop them from being taught. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah, it's it's starting to be pushed here. Not so much in our state, but I know back where we came from in California, it is heavily pushed now on kids as low as, you know, five years old. Um, and in Florida, they they got a lot of criticism for the quote unquote, don't say gay 
bill, but that bill, if you read it, all it says is you can't teach anything about sexuality to children below the ages of like nine or something like that. I don't, I don't know, but it's, I don't remember what the age is, but it was, it wasn't saying you can't say gay. It was saying you don't bring this to your, to your kids in your class because they don't need to know about any of this kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I side with that a lot more because it's, it's just, it's a middle ground. That should be taught by parents to, to kids, not by a, a completely unrelated, unknowing person who may have a different kind of ideology that from the home life. And it could cause kind of a, a schism in the child's brain. Like you said, kids are very impressionable and it's very easy to manipulate their thoughts or make them think certain ways. Um, a big thing here is a lot of transgender teachers uh, will not go by Mr. or Mrs., but they'll go by mix. <laughs> literally mix i don't do you guys have that issue over there where a teacher can choose to do that i haven't come across that the the pronoun stuff is coming in i'm seeing it in department emails now and uh there are a lot of students who are starting to identify as they them which for me is the biggest absolute mind wrecker because you can't be a plural there's one person you can't be a they them yeah (laughs) I never understood that. And then they would always make some obscure reference to a, a, a Shakespearean play. Oh, well, he referred to so-and-so as a they or a them. And it's like, yeah, but he's talking about like a creature. He's not talking about a person. So are you referring to yourself as a creature? That doesn't make any sense. And you've, got to, you've got to remember that these are kids. Like, let kids be kids. Yes. If, if someone was to just go along with what I thought I was as a kid, I'd be a, a Transformer or a Ninja Turtle by now. <laughs> yeah. Leonardo just pointing it out I'd have swords so that would be cool but like you said kids are so malleable and if you if you encourage the wrong things it is going to be so detrimental for their understanding of the world and how they comprehend themselves as a person right yeah for me me for example I I did not want to play with Barbies I gravitated towards just toys that were geared towards boys and um I don't know. I've, you know, I've always been a tomboy, but no one ever confused me and was like, you, you know what, let's do some hormone therapy on you. I think you should really be a boy. Like there was none of that growing up, but now it seems like things have changed. If you're, if your kid starts, if your kid's a girl and starts playing with GI Joe, then uh Oh, let's start, let's start that, uh, you know, that transition. Yeah, let's do hormone blockers. Yeah. And this, this is the line that's happening in education. I'm, I've seen it happen in the States. And I've seen it happen in Europe. Canada's big for it. Victoria passed the bill last year where if a child presents to a teacher and says, um, I'm transsexual or I'm non-binary or I identify as this or that, but my parents don't support me, that child can then get support from the school in secret to start the gender affirmation process without yeah. parents' input or permission. Oh, my gosh. I, I have seen, you know, that headline various places here in the States, um, kid, but it was more like high school kids. Um, you can tell that to your nurse, school nurse or whatever, and you don't have to tell your parents, well, we'll help you get the hormone therapy you need. Um, that's just unacceptable because you have the kids going against the parents and you know, breaking up that family system is key if you want um, big daddy government to rule the world. Like they need, they need little slaves and, and start them young. That's, that's, 
that's why we're having the age. What is, what is the age they change for kids to go to school now? Like they want to start kids at age three. Oh yeah, like three. Yeah, three year old kinder. Yeah, the same yeah. thing happens here. Just take them a year earlier. Like yeah. The first four years of a child's life are the most crucial in their learning, and we're handing over our kids to complete strangers for the majority of their time. If you think about it, the process of um, possession is nine-tenths nine of the law. The state or the institution owns your child because you've got them for weekends and for dinner and they go to bed. Right. God, it's such a crazy concept. I mean, when talk to me like maybe five, six years ago, not even maybe 10 years ago, I would have just been like, oh, you know, that's just how it is. That's how I grew up. I my my parents just gave me over to the schools to random educators and hoped for the best. But uh, these days, I can't. If we get blessed with a child, or I should say, when we get blessed with a child, um, I do not want to give them away to complete strangers, especially in the, these times. Um, if there was more teachers like you, obviously it'd be different. But unfortunately, it just doesn't seem like. It seems like you guys are very far and few in between, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, how how would you define the proper way to educate a child? Yeah, this is this is something that I'm really exploring with the new podcast I started with Kaylee. Yeah, I want homeroom educating educators. Yes. where we've got two completely different outlooks on education. We've both different parts of the world: a man and a woman homeschooler, government educator, but we agree on a hell of a lot. Um, personally, if I had the means to, my wife and I, when we have children someday, I 100% would want my child homeschooled. Right. And that becomes a very taboo subject if you're a government educator or a teacher in general and you advocate for homeschooling over private or government. Um, but unfortunately, the, the way the system is built, the debt system in particular, each household is required to have two incomes to survive, which means baby's going straight to daycare. Mum's got to go back to work. So if you're reliant on that and you have to work, there aren't a lot of options. And I think if we can't get kids into homeschooling, we need people out there who are going to think outside the box a little bit and try to support families through the system, like I'm sure there's lots of families out there who don't like the idea of their kids going to a government school, but it's the situation they're in. So what my goal is, is to try and help those people, um, how to raise their children and make sure that they're not going to school and having a negative experience. Right. No, that sounds... That sounds fine to me. Yeah. I mean, here you go to school and you're, you're gone for, you know, it's like a job. You're gone for eight hours a day and then you do that enough and you come home and you're a gay communist and that's just how it is. <laughs> oh, no, but you have, we have overtime because we have homework. Oh, that's true. Remember? That's true. Kids have overtime. We have yeah, to take unpaid. Yeah. Unpaid overtime that we have to do. <laughs> and the, the t I never understood that. Our teachers don't want a great extra work. Why did they do that? Why did they make us work exactly. more? Exactly. It, it's a perfect system, isn't it? It's the Prussian model, which is designed to have little factory workers, which is completely a, uh, a system of making money and profits. But the people that get out of the education system at the very end are purple-haired weirdos with multiple piercings that 
don't know what type of person they are and they absolutely hate the system they hate they hate it and they want to make a socialist system so it's a self-defeating system that's probably done by design yeah oh my gosh yeah i don't know i can't remember if it was you or someone else that posted a meme recently on um instagram but it was kind of a comparison of a girl beautiful blonde white girl that before she started college you know just normal looking two years in they have a, another picture side by side of her two years later and she's got the blue hair she's got this like t-shirt that says some kind of propaganda on it and um it's just crazy because <laughs> college really higher education really does do that to you it indoctrinates you even more if you weren't getting it in high school then you for sure are going to get it in college um but Isn't yeah, it funny how you see the the adverse to that, where you might have someone who was a a socialist feminist, a third wave feminist, I should say, and they've got all those tropes. They've got the short hair, shaved yeah. sides. It might be blue, it might be purple, whatever. They might have no slut shaming shirt on. <laughs> they might start off that way, but if they find religion or faith, whatever it would be, they end up going back to a traditional state. And the first comment they get is, "You've been brainwashed." Yeah. <laughs> like, have you been to university? <laughs> yeah, I am one of those. I mean, I I, told, I didn't get the blue hair or anything. I didn't, I didn't go crazy. But yeah, you never dyed your hair like no, that. No, no, no. But, um, you know, I was I was in it. I was like, yeah, climate change is real. You know, those ca- cow farts are destroying this place. People we, shouldn't be eating meat. Yeah, it's the, wrong. this place is so overpopulated. Like, just nasty, ugly thoughts like that. Go, Obama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chocolate Jesus. I like to call him Chocolate Jesus. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, real quick, just to touch on the show with you and Kaylee. Um totally loved the first episode. I think you guys are really on to something. And it's I'm just gonna plug the name again. The homeroom educating educators. Um check it out. Great show, Kaylee, aka Mrs. Moral Bob, um, and you, and you basically just give your perspectives on teaching and from both sides. And yeah, I, I'm really excited for what's to come with that show. Um, could you just give us like a few ideas of what you guys hope to cover and what we can expect uh, in the future? So, next episode we're looking at is like learning environments. So, what is the ideal environment for your child to learn in? Because we know that a homeschool environment is going to look very different from a private or public school. Uh, what's uh, a a set of strategies or techniques which are proven, air quotes, to help cho- children learn within a room? Um, and what are the real life lived experiences? I think the the great thing that, that comes out of it all is. Kaylee's got the boots on the ground experience of what homeschooling looks like. And I've got the Wizard of Oz veil so I can show people, lift the curtain up and go, this is what the classroom actually looks like. And this is how the system works. Um, Up to you. Do you agree with that? Do you not agree with that? If you don't agree with it, that's fine. Here's an alternative. If you do agree, agree with it, that's okay. But here's ways that you could support your child further. Hello, folks. Sorry to interrupt your programming. But if you'd like to support our show... And your immune system. Exactly. Thank you, Lakes. That's brilliant. You can buy our products at Bear Lake Alchemy on Instagram. 
and we are going to have various things on there, but where we're first targeting is fire cider. Yeah, fire cider is a pretty easy thing to make. You can make it at home, but if you're too lazy and the prices in the market are way too much for you, why don't you just buy a batch of our, our fire cider? It's a small batch, handcrafted. We have ingredients of like local, local raw honey, unpasteurized honey, which is key, jalapenos, serranos, ginger, garlic, onion, cayenne, turmeric. You can't go wrong. Oh. All the good stuff. It's great for your health and it helps fight diseases. So just go ahead and check us out on Bear Lake Alchemy at Instagram and see what we've got available and place your order there. I would. Yeah, I like that. She's, you know, she she and Bob are on Feed the Beauty with us and I like her theory of homeschool. Her and Lanny, I feel like have a really good theory of homeschool. Lanny lets her children learn as they learn, you know, and she wasn't putting too much pressure on her children to hit certain marks or anything that the state requires. And I, I, I admire that. I hope, you know, if we have children, when, I'd, when we have children, <laughs> I'd like to do the same, educate them in the outdoors. It, you can educate them inside. I mean, I feel like we, we can give them a fair and good balanced perspective and to show them all sides of a situation, not just one perspective that is, you know, the, the, um, what is it called? The consensus view of certain things. And it's really not the consensus view. It's the establishment view of certain things. I mean, is there is there a way around that in the States? I don't know. A lot of states have requirements that, that children have to learn. We're lucky that we're in a state where I don't, I don't feel like there are requirements other than maybe filling out a form saying we're going to educate our kid at home yeah i feel i feel like 4-h is a requirement 4-h is <laughs> seems, a requirement here <laughs> oh my gosh like for real it seems like every kid um every family we've talked to every parent we've talked to with kids their kid is in 4-h like they're doing some kind of animal husbandry or just some kind of i, I don't know farming I don't, what else does 4-h Agri- consist of ag and yeah. just animals right yeah um, which is awesome. Um, really, it's the most important thing. Like we've, as a species, since the time we dug a piece of grass out of the ground and developed corn out of it, or we tamed the first buffalo and turned it into a cow, that's what we do well as a species. And we've lost all that knowledge in the space of two generations. It's gone. Our grandparents, they would grow and produce as much as their own food as they can. And they would offset it with small things they'd purchase at the shops or they'd barter and trade with each other. That's all gone now. Yeah. Talk about loss of knowledge. Like the burning of Alexandria is nothing compared to that. Amen. (laughs) Oh man, that's so true. (laughs) That is very true. And it's, I think it's awesome that we, our age group, um, I'm assuming you're around our age. We're mid thirties. Um, 34. Yeah. So you're, you're right there with us. Um, we have an opportunity to just really step it up and bring in kids into this world with a new view um, that's not not the Babylon view of living. You know that you can you can grow your own food. You can live a life where you don't have to depend on a nine to five and um, having your own. You can have your own business. You can you can just live a normal life with no, well, there is stress, but not the stress of like a corporate world where we came from. And, um, I think it's great. The, the boomer generation, the, the generations older than us, their, their ways of life are fading away and we have an opportunity to come in and just change things. And it, it's really exciting. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Make a new baby boom, but not uh, turning them into little consumers. They'll be <laughs> producers of their own business, producers of goods. I mean, my my we live right next to my aunt. I live on the land that my grandfather um, grew food on, and we. We, we grow animals. My aunt is really good at growing plants, although she's gotten great at growing plants indoors during the winter. Yeah. Uh, but we trade back and forth. We trade with our neighbors. It's, uh, it's very few times that money actually crosses hands. It's usually food or something that we grow with each other. And I feel like if we went back to that, people would have less stress. They'd be healthier because the food is grown right here. It's not traveling all over the country to get here. And, you know, there's not... Uh, talk about global global warming and climate change there's not all that emissions and transporting everything because you're literally taking something from your yard and giving it to your neighbor and your neighbor's doing the same and i feel like if we would just go back to that agrarian type life it would be a lot happier um it'd be a lot more um diverse and there'd be a lot more people that are willing to stand up for what they believe in more principled more strong people because right now it seems like the stronger principle the stronger or more principled person you are, the more they fight against it, the more they try and get you to buckle under the pressure. Um, have you felt that way with just your colleagues, not necessarily the administration, but your colleagues around you? Or do you find your support, you have like a little bit of base of support of other teachers that are also willing to push back? Um, I'm considered a rabble rouser, so I'll get people on side when I, I, I'm really good at delivering facts in a palatable way that people can quickly understand and then go off and search themselves. Um, so I do have a great little group of people around me so much to the point where we debated last year, whether we go off and start our own private school. But then when we found out the legal loopholes you have to jump through in this state, the amount of money you have to put up front and then wait 18 months for a review, it wasn't going to be worth it. Um, wow. <laughs> so I do have those people around me. I, in the past I've had people, who have told me that I'm, for someone so young, I have a very negative and backwards way of thinking. <laughs> yeah, which I've been I, there. I laughed at. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a strange thing. Like you said, that we've got the ways that the, our our little age group now, like a lot of people are doing, people are going off homesteading, growing microgreens, whatever they can. We're actually living the green agenda, aren't we? Not the right. way that they yeah. they sell it to you in. Klaus Schwab's little group of young leaders, the green way of doing things is being as least wasteful as most possible sustainable way you can be by doing it yourself. And that's what we're doing. And to have people turn around and say, no, you're the problem because blah, 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 ad hominem, because you're not living in a pod or <laughs> drinking the soy, yeah. it's, it's, it's double think. It just baffles me that people who can be so educated air quotes can't see what's happening and that's the frustration i battle every day man i can't imagine i i give you huge props for hanging in there and do you feel like this is your your true calling to educate kids i've done a lot of things i've i've been a draftsman so i drew up plans for housing and did design work i'm naturally artistic I've worked in the timber industry and logging. I was in the Air Force. I only found my way into teaching because I met my wife and she was a teacher. And <laughs> like, nice. this is a perfect way for us to have the exact same schedule, the exact same time together. Because I didn't want to be apart from her. I was a boy who fell in love, right? <laughs> <Got into> teaching, 
absolutely loved it. I do. I absolutely love teaching. And I think I have the feeling a lot of other young teachers have. They see that there's a problems in the world. They want to genuinely help kids. They get into the system. They realize that it will never change from the inside. That's why we have such a high attrition rate. We have three out of five teachers in Australia quit within their first four years. I've bucked the trend I've made to my sixth year of teaching now. Wow. Nice. But I, I honestly can't see it being a long-term thing for now. My dad was recently on a transition to retirement. So he'd work like three days a week at the, at his um, paper mill factory and then have his days off. And I joke that I'm on a transition to farming where instead of working full-time <laughs> teaching, I'll be maybe working three days a week and then it's eventually two days. And then I might be a call-in teacher when teachers are sick, but I hope to go back to farming and that being how we support ourselves in the future. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Do you have experience farming prior to getting into this? A little bit. Um, my family were always traditional farmers. My wife is a good farm girl whose father owns 600 acres. So we'll eventually Whoa. be inheriting and taking over a 600 acre Angus beef farm. Oh my gosh. Which is great. Wow. We've got the bones and everything there ready to go. And we're doing a lot of work outside of teaching ourselves now, getting the farm ready and cleaned up and working with my father-in-law, making sure the machinery is ready, fencing's already there to go. But yeah, I thought that was going to be where I'd go to during COVID. Like, all right, he brought in these ridiculous mandates, stuff it will go start farming 10 years earlier than expected. And then our little dictator who's in our state said, oh, and farmers have to be vaccinated or they can't farm. Holy crap. I was like, I cannot <laughs> escape it. And rightly or wrongly, I was... I felt like I was coerced into doing something I didn't want to. The decision's made now. That's what it is what it is. But I've still got the goal of living out the rest of my life, however long that is, living on a farm and being my own boss and getting back to it, back to nature and and living simply. Yeah. No, we we all have the ability to heal. Like our bodies will heal over time. And uh, you know, I get it. People gotta do what they gotta do and it really came down hard on you guys and uh it's it's unfortunate but just keep like you said just keep living your life and striving towards that dream of being <laughs> a retired farmer that is that is so cool i like i like that a lot but um yeah my family people back home they don't they don't get it you know they think i'm just i would imagine they think i'm just being lazy and not doing anything and uh cuz i'm not working a 9 to 5 which is not true I'm like working in a five to 10 now. <laughs> like I just, I'm like nonstop all day. It may not be sitting at a computer and, you know, typing useless reports for Amazon warehouse buildings. But um, yeah, it's, it's a different way of life that the older generations don't quite understand. And that's okay. They don't have to. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And um, they will one day when, uh, when our way of life just takes over. Yeah. When they start paying um, exorbitant prices for eggs and milk yeah. and all that stuff. And it's our, and it's already, <laughs> it's already like coming to them. It's literally that boomer generation though. And maybe I've got a great name for what we could, should call our generation of kids. The boomer doomers. Because they're going to bring around a lifestyle that their parents had, which they didn't like. Like that entire generation, they didn't do what their parents did or farm or do the family business, they all left for college or they all went off and did something that was completely different from everything else. Like, not that it's a bad thing, but geez, it changed society in a big way. 
sure did. Yeah, it really, it really, really did. My dad was being basically groomed to become the takeover farmer for my grandfather, who was a farmer. And he had, you know, hundreds of acres across the lake. He had acres here in town. He was, he had cattle, he had wheat. There was tons of growth happening. And when my dad came back, so I grew up Mormon. So my dad went on a mission. He met my mom in California and then he came back. He basically was like saying, well, I got to go. There's a girl I'm going to get married to in California. And my grandpa said, Hey, you know, there, what about the farm? Like we need you here. And he just kind of abandoned that whole responsibility and became a factory worker, raised us in California. And now I'm trying to come back to this lifestyle my grandfather prescribed for us. And I feel as though that this is the right way to be. I've never not felt like I'm not supposed to be here. This has always been the place I'm supposed to be. I'm really glad I grew up in California because we met, fell in love, got married, bought a house. But now it's time to put those things away and go back to something a little bit, like you said, more simple. Simple doesn't necessarily mean poor. It doesn't necessarily mean bad. Simple is actually good. Simple is very good. It's it's a good way of life, and it's a it's a very enriching way of life. We we feel joy every day to be here, even though we're being covered with snow right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you guys come across Lever's regret at all in your little farming communities? It's quite prevalent here. I'm in a regional part of Victoria where it's starting to get built up with suburbs around the main town. So that means that a lot of really good farmland. Um, has been sold off and it's only ever been sold off because the two or three sons that were in the family decided they didn't want to take over the farm like your father and they decided to go to the city of Melbourne and do other things so the family just kind of had to sell the property but then you take you talk to these people that boomer generation who might have a really great career now but they always complain about I can't believe that land was sold for x amount of millions of dollars and we don't have it like well you kind of gave it up you gave up all those opportunities and now you're complaining about the loss of money that's quite telling where your uh, interests lie. <laughs> I've I've noticed that among some of the families yeah. here, um, there's there's few families here that were here to establish this area for a long time. So my family name is pretty big here, along with other family names that you know we've kind of all intermarried with each other. But at one point in time, after my grandfather passed, my aunts were handling all the affairs and executing the will, you know, as predicted by my grandfather. And there were some debts that had to be paid off. So they they sold off portions of the farm that we no longer own. I don't believe that they're developed, but they will be very soon. And there is more anger at people developing those areas rather than using them for cattle or growing something. And, you know, there there is some regret there. But I'm I'm thankful that my dad kept this little piece here to kind of keep in the family and it's all wrapped in the land that my aunt kept and she's you know she has about six point something acres here um, that we have pasture land and a creek and all that kind of stuff we can use so they want to keep that going and I've talked to her she doesn't ever want to get rid of it but she can't convince all of her family to kind of come in and take care of it if something were to happen to her and my uncle uh, but we've kind of thrown our hats in the ring and I, I feel like we've been partially adopted by them because mm-hmm. uh, we, we just, we share food with them. We break bread. We always share everything with them. And they know that our goal here is to always farm. It may be, yes, we, we have a business. We try to earn money with our business, but 
our goal at the end of the day is to retire as farmers to just grow on this land. So I think we might be able to keep this land in the family. I don't know. Time will tell. And hopefully there's no debts to have to be paid. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm going to be pulling money out of our savings to try and pay it off. Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. (laughs) But yeah, it's an interesting dynamic we're living in right now. And uh, I'm happy to be a part of this group coming up to just you know, F the system and let's do our thing. Let's go back to traditional values, which are so taboo, apparently. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's our great reset and we're doing it our way. <laughs> exactly. I love it. And um, yeah, let's, I wanted to, before we completely leave the subject of teaching, I just wanted, I had a few other questions um, yeah, for, for you. Um, one of them being, what subject out of all the subjects you teach or just topics or ways of life, what what do you think is the most important for a child to learn in your age group? My, I, I was a classroom teacher and I've stepped into teaching an art role because I'm absolutely passionate about art. I love it. Nice. But at the same time, I lay history into it at the same time. And art's a really great mechanism for that because you can see the way that art has changed and influenced society throughout history. So really history underlines it and art's the mechanism to teach it through. Um, if we don't learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Like we can go down those rabbit holes of, oh, history is a lie and it's all fake and gay, but um, <laughs> history is so important. And we can see that happening now. Like modern history is changing based on uh, internet updates. Like January 6th, was the worst insurrection in American history. Oh, my gosh. Pearl Harbor, apparently. Yeah. A bunch of old ladies walking through the Capitol. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Yep. That's not how I remember it. No. I, oh, I was, my gosh. I was rooting for them when I was watching. Yeah. We, we, were, we, were watching we were watching some people film it live on Twitter, and I was like, get them. Burn yeah. it down. Burn it down. God, it was, God, it was such a weird day because both of us were, you know, working at home, quote, unquote, um, and the, the the Trump thing was going on. So, you know, I had a feeling something's going to go down. Let's make sure we watch and, and see. And sure enough, people start storming the Capitol building. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. This is like, we're this is it. We're taking over. And then it turned out to just be. It's just like tourists, <laughs> tourists walking through. Yeah. Between, between the velvet ropes, mind yeah, you. Yeah, it turned out to be just some staged event. But no we've you know we after watching it for a little bit we we're like oh this is fake this isn't even real but everyone else like our co-workers my freaking hairdresser was like that is that was the worst thing to happen in american history those those animals invaded the capitol building how could they do that and i'm just like are you serious yeah. right now and he's native american you'd think he'd be like <laughs> yeah. you think he'd be like fuck the capitol yeah yeah my my hairdresser um was Native American, and uh, it was just really surprising to hear that come from him. But anyway, our neighbor too. We I was taking out the trash, and she's like, "Are you watching these people? Can you believe they're dis- they're a disgrace?" And I'm just like, "Those are the best of America at this point." To be honest with you, it's it's funny how quickly people forget too. Like that's being used as a mechanism to label people like ourselves as right wing. Um, neo-nazis and the worst piece of people worse than the mustache man right because we're right-wing extremists yeah but you look back at australian history in 1996 we had a prime minister called john howard and he brought about a big economic change which 
lost a lot of people's jobs and hit the economy really hard. So much that all the unions, left-wing groups, they stormed the parliament in Australia, broke through the doors, beat the ever-living crap out of federal police. Nice. What about that? That's fine. They're not domestic terrorists. They're just the little Aussie battlers trying to make it in the world. <laughs> Dang, that is, I, I didn't know that happened. It's freaking awesome. Did you know about that? No, we don't learn anything good here. No, we don't. <laughs> that is really cool. No, but one, one fascinating thing about Australian history and um, something that I don't know if it's discussed in schools is, uh, you know, the Aborigines and their culture. And just I find it fascinating that there's certain things like you can't go on their land. You need you need a, a license or some kind of um, like a guide guide. Yeah, elder permission. Yeah, it's a um, yeah, it's, it's a real the great thing about our education system is that's become a really big emphasis on um, teaching our children, which is great. But like all things, what's intended to be great has its own, not so much silver lining, but a dark shadowy cloud around it where this is being used for critical race theory now. Oh, man. <laughs> big time. If you're whitey, you are bad. Oh, and my God. Completely, ta- completely takes out of context that, you know, the majority of white settlers in this country were convicts that came from nothing and they were struggling to survive. Human conflict happens. Is it right? No. Are they at fault for it? Maybe, but it's just this big finger pointing game politically in our country at the moment where I'm not someone who says get over history. We absolutely need to remember history, but we need to remember history accurately and not point fingers. Like humans have been terrible towards each other since day dot and start pointing fingers it's not going to solve the current issues we have in helping our indigenous community yeah 100 percent. i agree we have um there's a lot of issues here that are overlooked in the history that we learned in school and i'm not sure if you remember but we we were taught of the noble savage so the the native americans in america were they were all peaceful there was nothing going on and then all of a sudden white europeans showed up and then they all died and we killed them all and we put them on little pieces of land. We completely ignore the fact that each tribe was a warring nation against each other. There were very few Confederate tribes where they would actually unite under, you know, one banner and fight, you know, the white man or the European. Most of the tribes fought each other. So we completely overlook that part of history and we we demonize the white European side when we try to I guess, uh, I don't know what the term is, but to make noble the the Native American side without knowing, you know, the full tale, the full story. And I feel like there's something mystical about the Aboriginal history of Australia that is so interesting and I want to learn more, but you really can't. It's very guarded yeah. and everything oh, you try absolutely. to look up, you cannot find good information on them. Yeah, um, I'm going to be a little bit of a teacher at the moment because I got really excited when you spoke about the First Nations Native Americans. Absolutely a fascinating culture. Like you said, warlike people. They had war parties, war chiefs. It was just a part of their culture. They also owned slaves from other tribes. Yep. But the noble savage is a bit of a misnomer. That term was coined because you had a group of people, the Europeans saw people living freely and hunting on the land without oppression from a a lord or a noble. That's why they called them the noble savage because they were living lives that the white man couldn't. So in some aspects, Uh. it's actually quite accurate. 
It's just been spun in a different way today. Um, but you're absolutely correct with the Aboriginal Australian history and context. Um, understandably so, a lot of Aboriginals are quite guarded about their history and their and their and their Dreamtime stories because they have been treated so poorly um, by the British in the arrival. And that's the thing that I think we need to try and move beyond. We're not the British settlers. We're not the white people of the past. We might be some of their ancestors. Some white people aren't even descended from those people. And I think the only way that this 60,000-year-old culture is going to survive is we need to have a, a bit more of an, an understanding of what their culture is and they need to pass their knowledge along to us or it's going to fade out of existence like a lot of it already has. Yeah, I, I agree. Everything that I've I've learned about the indigenous cultures of Australia, I mean, each tribe or mob, each mob had even different dialects, different languages. So that's why it's so hard to pass this information on because it kind of stays within the, uh, the tribe or the mob and it can't be passed over. I in total agreement with you. I think it should be shared for those that want to learn. No one should be forced to learn anything they don't want to learn. And we shouldn't deny that what happened in the past but at the same time, things like like stories of the dream time, the origins of these people in Australia are very important, I think, can echo into the future and we can learn from that. So, I mean, I'm not saying that we should all, you know, be uh, Aboriginal. Uh, I'm not sure what their is their religion. What's their religion called? Do they have a religion? It's just the dream time or the dreaming. Yeah. It's not so much a religion as it's their understanding of how the world came to be. Right. I'm not, I'm like not a creation story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that everyone should be, you know, diving into it because it could, that they could alter the history of that too. But I'm totally for the elders teaching everyone and being open about it because that's information that should not die out. And we were just talking to my aunt and uncle yesterday about sitting down and recording their stories of growing up. And we'd like to sit down with them and learn from them because we don't want that to disappear. We, the same thing should be done for people who are Aboriginal. They should share and we should record these histories so that it's not just given to the dust and we never see it again or hear from it again. Yeah. Um, in the classroom, when we teach, our, it's a part of our mandated history that we teach Aboriginal culture and their history. But the problems around it are a lot of white teachers aren't very comfortable in navigating that minefield because it's so politically motivated and fueled at the moment where they don't want to offend or make anyone unhappy. We have to write a, we go through what's called a cultural safety audit before you teach a, a, a unit or a curriculum area about Indigenous culture because we might have Indigenous students. Generally, we have to seek permission from elders prior to doing so. And the issue being that many elders don't want any part of it or they only want to work with the Indigenous children. They don't care about non-Indigenous children knowing about it. So it makes it a really hard place to, to work from because we're just the poor people stuck in the middle of all these different uh, warring groups trying to get priority over something that really should be, it's knowledge and history, right? It should be open to everyone. Wow, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I can, a culture, would you call it a cultural audit? What? A cultural safety audit. Cultural safety audit. Goodness cultural gracious. Cultural safety is everyone's priority in a government school. Goodness gracious. My God. Safety. Like, do they even define what safety is when they say that? <laughs> oh, they go into a lot of government jargon buzzwords about what it is, but in application, it does very, very different. 
Oh my gosh. That is nuts. Yeah, it's... Once again, I give you props for <laughs> sticking in there and <laughs> doing your best to try and educate these generations coming up. Um, I'll leave you with one last question about education. We can move on to another topic, but in your opinion, how, how do we take back our schools and our education system? I'm so torn. I don't know if we actually can. I d people often say, you know, you, you vote and you vote the right way and things will change. I don't think voting works anymore. That was a very, very big hard pill for me to swallow. So if that doesn't work, I don't think the system can actually ever change. The only way I think we can push back against it is to raise our own kids, whether that means you're homeschooling yourself or if your child is attending school, you have to be really conscious about picking the right school for your kid. If it has to be a government school, check out the schools, speak to other families, have conversations with teachers. Um, if private school is an option for you because you're, uh, your finances are a little bit higher, pick a private school. They teach a very different way to what a public school does. Yeah. But ideally, homeschool your kids. Raise children the way you wish you wanted to be raised. Yeah, totally. And just to go back to your point, if, if you have to put your kids in the school system and you and Kaylee kind of touched on this on your first episode, your podcast together, and as a parent, just take, take control of your kid's life. There's a lot of things as parents that we think or they think they can't do. And you brought up the example of punishment in school and how um, some kids, and this happened at my school, elementary school growing up and yours too. Yeah. If, if you did bad, you can't go to recess or you have to sit on a bench. You can go outside, but you can, you have to sit on a bench and you can't mingle with the other kids. You have to just watch everyone play. And apparently that's something parents can speak up about to the, their administrators and say, no, don't do that to my child. Um, I had no idea, you know, cause yeah, yeah, I, the mindset of, oh, that's just how it is, but we're not going to put our kid in public school, so it doesn't even matter. But just, just the whole theme of, as a parent, taking control of your child's education and really putting yourself out there to know who's educating you, what are they teaching you. Um, not, not so much micromanage your child's life, but <laughs> in, in a freaking public school system, you kind of don't have a choice. You micromanage the teacher's life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well that's the thing. You often hear a lot of teachers complain about, oh, that's that family. They're so high maintenance. They're always <laughs> complaining about something. They're always, they're always sending me emails. I'm like, think about it though. That's probably the best parent you can come across because they're yeah. actively advocating for their child's learning. It's better having a parent like that than it is having a, a parent of a student that you've never spoken to before. You've never seen. They just assume you're doing the right thing in the class for their child. They may have concerns, but they're not willing to bring it up. And then think about how many kids um, fly under the radar because they're not taking their ch own child's concerns to the teacher. They're just assuming the educated person, the qualified person knows what's happening. And the unfortunate thing is teachers don't always see what's happening. We're human beings as well. Like the relationship between families and teachers, that has to be a really big emphasis if your child is going to be in a public or private school. Sorry to interrupt folks. But if you're in a homesteading, conspiracy, and getting out of the system, then we have the perfect show for you. 
Feed the Beauty is a podcast co-hosted by some of the best minds in the game. Lanny and Chud from The World As It Is Today and Greener Postures. Moral Bob from Hidden in Plain Sight and Mrs. Moral Bob, Kaylee. And of course, yours truly, Buffalo, and my partner in crime, Legs, from False Reality Check. Join us to learn about homesteading, sovereignty, raising families, and detaching from the beast system. Episodes can be found on most podcast outlets or go to feedthebeauty.castos.com. Now back to your show. I completely agree. I think, um, and something too that teachers can, they do help with, and I have heard of them helping with, is is particularly with uh, kids that are considered troublemakers or um, kids that, um, you know, act out a lot. You can really spot if there is a broken home life and maybe inter not interfere but intervene to try and help that kid to get the resources they need have you ever had to deal with that um maybe you spotted like a troublemaker or something like that and had to deal with parents that were kind of lack in that way yeah um i'm from a low socioeconomic um area so it was a a, quite a big booming mining town um and farming and industry which a lot of it has disappeared so we have high unemployment um a lot of drug and alcohol abuse within our community so unfortunately, we do have a lot of kids which are dealing with a lot of neglect and and trauma. So we see these kids on a daily basis. Our school has a thing called Breakfast Club where we actively feed kids breakfast. It's white bread and cereal, not the best breakfast, oh, but man. hey, it's something. It's something in their tummy, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to change that by getting them fruit and actually proper grains. But anyway, um, yeah, we I came across that all the time, and I had I always had that idea of I could always spot the underdog, the kid that needed that support. And traditionally those kids were always labeled as, or oh, that's that kid that they're always like that. That's the troublemaker or that's Jimmy. That's um, Sarah's younger brother. You know how Sarah was like, so don't worry about him. He may not just get things because that's the way he is, which I always hated. I'm always for advocating strong relationships based on trust and respect with students from the get go. And I always had that rapport with families and those types of kids to the point where year after year, I was always finding I was getting what was labeled as the hardest class in the school because I could navigate them, which is, um, it's quite humbling that leadership could see I had that ability, but at the same time, it was really disappointing that my peers weren't actively doing the same thing. They were quick to always go, that's that kid for that reason. Yeah, that's unfortunate that we have a lot of, it's funny, uh, growing up in California, we had a lot of, I feel like students around us that came from not, not great home lives and you've had traumatic home life as well. I've had emotionally traumatic home life. (laughs) Um, but we all got to school. We, we took care of it. We were pretty, both of us were pretty good students. Yeah. I, I just dove right in. I, I didn't have any control of my home life, but I could control my grades. And how well I did in school. So I just went, I went balls, balls to the <laughs> balls, wall. <laughs> balls, deep in school. balls to the wall, man. Indoctrinate me. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 unfort it's an unfortunate circumstance. But you seem like you're handling it very well, and those kids are very fortunate to have you. I feel like, and the parents too, um, even if they don't understand the way you teach or are against it they it's it's awesome just keep doing what you're doing and um you're every day you're one step closer to that retired farmer um home home style life but uh yeah that's 
it's it's awesome to hear your perspective of an educator in Australia. Thank thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, we, do you want to move on to another topic or? Yeah, you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about his homeland more? I mean, what do you want to talk? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? What's the deal with kangaroos? Like, are they like are they everywhere? <laughs> They are everywhere. Um, oh, man. Australia, the majority of the east coast of Australia was heavily forested. So the population of kangaroos has actually exploded since European settlement because we cleared forests and grass grew everywhere. And because kangaroos eat grass, they had higher access to food. So now they are everywhere. We have <laughs> annual culls each year. Um, they're used for dog food. We eat them. It's crazy. Nice. The same thing happened with emus. We had a we're listed as having a national war against emus in which we lost. Oh my god. What? How yeah. did you lose that? <laughs> Look it up. It's the emu war where the Australian <laughs> army went to war with emus. They went in with a couple of Bren guns to try and shoot these thousands of emus that were eating all the crops and they didn't have enough bullets to kill them all. So oh the my. emus won that war. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's funny you bring up kangaroos and em- is it emu? How do you say that? Emu. Emu. That's such a funny word to me. Um I I was looking up like random facts on Australia that people might not know and I I read that the kangaroo and the emu are on the coat of arms for Australia and, and we ate them. Yeah, and but one of the reasons they're on the coat of arms is because they can't walk backwards, and so no, it, can't. it symbolizes the country always moving forward. You know, um, but yeah, I had no idea they don't walk backwards. That's freaking weird. I had no idea that you guys lost a war too. Yeah. That's, they seem so. I mean, I've been up close to one and I pet it. They they don't seem that violent, but I mean, I guess no, if there's I, thousands of them. I grew up with a mate whose dad was a painter, so he had a big white like van which he kept all his painting tools in, and he lived up in the bush. And we saw an emu that we assumed was someone's pet, and he picked it up and just threw it in the van, like a very <laughs> docile. <laughs> that is hilarious! Oh my god! So you guys are overrun by those things, and I also heard that camels, like in the center of the continent, camels are a big issue. Is that is that true? Yeah, I think we've actually on paper got more camels than what the Middle East does. Yeah, and you guys actually ship camels to the Middle East from what yeah, I Yeah, our, blood, our bloodlines of camels are, um, are quite pure, supposedly, for breeding purposes, so we send them over there. And we eat them as well. We yeah. eat everything. Have you, have you had camel milk? No, I've had um, camel hump, which Whoa. is like the fat. Oh. That's quite good. Um, it make it like a... A crisp, you fry it up like a crispy type of like a um, a pork crackling. It okay. Really good. Yeah, like a chicharron. Yeah, like a chicharron. Nice. What's your favorite way to prepare a kangaroo? Mm. Uh, and uh, an emu. E- <laughs> emu. <laughs> kangaroo, kangaroo is very gamey. Um, you liken it to like what a venison would be. Very, very low fat, if anything at all. So it doesn't take a lot f- for it to burn. So you pretty much have to eat it almost raw seared on a couple oh, of sides wow. maybe some garlic and stuff with it pepper salt yeah it's perfect dang dang i want some kangaroo now i love <laughs> i love venison venison tastes delicious and elk is like if you can get an elk because we do have prominent elk hunting here that's that's top notch and i'm just gonna throw it out there as a guy elk contains a lot of testosterone if you eat elk you get rock hard just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, okay. I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <I'm gonna> say, 
for your own safety. I'm just gonna. I could have. I could have really taken it there, but I'm just gonna be good. I'm trying to be good now. Are you okay. Um, <laughs> no, that that is inter- That is really interesting. What What are some other like random facts about Australia that yeah, people in the states probably don't know? Um, I'll go back to kangaroo. So kangaroo actually means I don't understand. So when the oh. British arrived and pointed at these giant jumping rats, the British said, what are these things over here? And the Aboriginal said, kangaroo, I don't understand what you're saying. So <laughs> kangaroos are literally, I don't understand. Which when you look at them evolutionarily, I don't quite understand how that happened. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious, Drew. Yeah, kangaroos are freaking scary. Like I've seen images of them where they're just super cut. You know, they'll be sitting, standing up really straight and you can just, they have a six pack and I'm like, yikes. I, I don't want to be around one of those. They kind of freak me out. Yeah. And the the babies are actually born and then they crawl into the pouch. Mm. Like they, they come out from the the mom and then they just literally crawl up the fur into the pouch and they look like little aliens and they <laughs> yeah, grow they in like there. Pinky mice. So for anyone who's ever bred mice for like feeding snakes or something, yeah. they look like pinky mice. They're tiny. Yeah. That they could just drop dead at the drop of a hat. Stiff wind could kill them, but they managed to crawl all the way up a mother into her pouch and then survive. It's actually quite amazing. It's like, amazing. It's like they have to finish cooking in there. They're not done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh my god, I didn't know about the the camel thing. When she told me about that, I'm like, "There's no way there's camels there," but I guess there are. That's so weird. Anything's possible it's, in Australia. It's the same. We've got deer as well. We've got a lot of Asiatic deer that were brought over from India. Um, Samba deer, that's what I hunt. Fallow deer, you're in Victoria. Um, we've got uh, Wapiti cross, so elk cross red deer in Queensland, which is a tropical place for all places for them to be. Whoa, that's great, man. Are now, you, I, now I want to go hunting over there. You guys got some are you, animals. Are you a big hunter? Um, my dad's a big hunter and I grew up around that. I'm getting back into it now, um, trying to be more sustainable and do everything like that. So I've got back into it. Um, yeah, it's it's a really big scene, especially in the southern parts of Australia. Nice. What is your so what is your favorite thing to hunt if you had to choose? I know you're just getting back into it, but is there something you like a goal hunt that you'd love to do or have accomplished? Um like a big time, I'd absolutely love to go to either Canada or the States somewhere and and shoot an elk. Okay. That's a that's a big game one for me. Um I'd like to bag a a decent samba in Victoria and get that mounted. Um, apart from that, it's there's a lot of fun stuff. Like as a young guy in Australia, you grow up shooting foxes and rabbits, especially in the country. So I learned very quickly how to whistle foxes up by hand. So you make this Whoa. sound in your hand and it's the sound of a dying rabbit and they'll run up thinking it's a free feed and you just shoot the fox in response. Oh, wow. And you just do this with your hand? Yeah. Yep. Oh. Wow, our fox, our foxes here are super elusive. Like you can't signal them in at all. I've seen one fox, and that that was it. This was last year before we had chickens, so I don't want to see them anymore, obviously. But I had no idea you could just call them up. Well, I call birds with with pishing with my mouth. Yeah, but you're not shooting them. You're like you just you <laughs> yeah. want to yeah. look at them. I just want to look. at just say hi. <laughs> well, you get a closer look if you shoot them, but <laughs> that's true. That is true. <laughs> No, I don't want to do that. We have plenty of doves. It's fine. You can do that. Not a big deal. <laughs> There's tons. We have tons of them. There's too many of them. 
That's awesome. I'm I'm glad you're getting back into hunting. That's something we've attempted. Didn't really have time to do um, much of last year because we were still setting up shop. Hopefully this upcoming year we can get into it. Um, as far as on our property, we could probably just shoot rabbit. Or turkey. Or tur- I mean, yeah. Well, you're not supposed Technically, you're not supposed to. we can't, but. But we can. Yeah, there's. We got turkey that come here. We got rabbits. We got deer. We'll never go hungry <laughs> if if it comes to it. But uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. So you guys have to contend with predators, though. You're not the apex creature that's out there. You've got bears, wolves, even coyotes. I would want to mess with. The only thing we worry about when we go hunting is either if we're in warmer areas, is ticks or stepping on snakes. That's our biggest issue when we go hunting. But right. Oh, do you have a lot of poisonous snakes? We've got eight out of the top ten poisonous snakes. Oh, yeah, or oh, venomous rather. Yeah, they're they're they got everything. Oh my god! <laughs> this is why when when we were younger, she was dying to go to Australia, and she's like, "I always want to go." I bought her a big book of like Australia pictures of Australia, facts about Australia. But the more I looked through it, the more I was like, "We're never gonna go to Australia. It is a scary place." <laughs> it. I feel like it makes you it show you can how do I word this? It might be hard to live there and you're dealing with all these like crazy animals and predators, but it really shows you who you are. Oh yeah. I guess. hundred percent. Like if Drew when Drew comes here to the States to hunt and he sees our conditions, he's gonna he's just gonna excel. Like yeah, <laughs> it's nothing like, compared to He's gonna be like, You guys are weak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes you stronger human. That's true. To live in Australia, I feel That's like. True. Yeah. Well, I, I do like Vegemite. I have tried that before. I, is, that, is that like as popular as we hear that it is? Oh, it is massive here. Absolutely <sighs> massive. The, the problem is when we give foreigners Vegemite, we either do one of two things. We tell them the truth. And the truth is you're supposed to spread it on a little bit of butter on toast or on a sandwich and eat it that way. Or we stitch people up and say you eat it like a spoonful like you do Nutella. <laughs> no <laughs> and that is not the way to eat it <laughs> i've tried it on some toast um i didn't really care for it i, I feel it like it's good. an acquired taste i thought it was pretty good we had your professor it was like end of year her professor's boyfriend's from australia he brought a, a little tub of it and he's like oh you guys got to try it it's delicious uh, it's made from like the leftover yeast in a barrel or whatever, something like he explained it. He told us the truth and I still wanted to try it. You had one bite and you're like, no. Yeah. And I and was, I finished it. And I, I was, I was wasted too. And I still didn't like it. So I don't know. <laughs> I thought that would it's help. Actually, it's actually really good. If you use it like a, a rub or a marinade on like a barbecue chicken, like a, a coal fired barbecue, it's really good because it's so salty. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, it is salty. Oh. We might have to try that. I'm down. Order some Vegemite and try it on a marinade. I'd be down for that. We I'd give it another shot. Though, I think I saw that Vegemite's actually illegal in a lot of states in America because one of the additives, oh. which is quite weird because it's all natural compared to your list of like 60 or 70 chemicals that's in all your food. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I didn't know that it was. We'll have to see if it's legal in Idaho. I'm sure most things. I mean, we can buy grenades. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure most things are legal here. Yeah. I don't, we have so many endocrine disruptors in our food. What's wrong with Vegemite? So that just tells me then if it is illegal, if you storm the capital in the future, roll a thing of 
a jar of Vegemite on the ground and you'll see the feds start running because yeah. <laughs> it's clearly more dangerous than a handheld grenade. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Heck yeah. Note that, people. Next capital, storming. Bring your Vegemite. Get that Vegemite going. <laughs> Hashtag oh Vegemite the capital. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. We'll have to title this episode. Vegemite the capital. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Drew, I'm super excited about the Conspiracy Theater 3000. Your other show, it seems like you have, you're coming up with a lot of shows right now. And uh, it's a good way to keep busy. And like you said, it's it's a way to have free therapy, mm-hmm. you know, and have others listen. And it's therapy for them. So it's awesome. And there's a, there's, you know, this conspiracy podcast. There's the, uh, I don't know what else is coming up these days. But anyways, the Conspiracy Theater 3000, you're doing that with Moral Bob, with Andy Rouse from The Deep Share. Um, and you're basically going to review conspiracy movies, correct? Is that yeah, the... Yeah, that's right. It's been a long time coming. We had aimed at getting like three or four episodes out last year, but the business of Christmas and I think a lot of the more seasoned podcasters like Amora Bobber and Andy, they kind of hit a, hit a brick wall where they'd burnt out and people were moving, so that didn't happen. We recently just recorded episode one which is They Live, which was an absolute blast. I think that's going to be a, a real hit. Um, having Andy as someone to bounce ideas off was, is just fantastic. Look, Bob and I, when we went through the Jim Carrey films, that was great, but this is just another step, another level again. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. I love Andy. Oh, he's great. Um, yeah, he's a good guy. And yeah, you posted it on Instagram on your Conspiracy Theater 3000 Instagram page that, yeah, They Live is going to be the first episode. 1988, John Carpenter, um, I'm sure a lot of folks listening have seen it or it's come across your view and you haven't seen it, you should you should see it. It's a very telling tale and uh, has one of the best fight scenes, in my opinion. One of the longest fight scenes. One of the greatest fight scenes in movie history, in my opinion. <laughs> keeps going it just keeps going but it's like it it, it's like um you know it it, compared to today you're to get an idea into someone's head you kind of have to beat it into them Mm -hmm. so um that whole scene is what it's about (laughs) yeah it's really it's like revelation of the method um both andy and bob are really good at kind of finding the intricate meanings behind things do you guys actually sit and watch it at the same time or do you watch it separate times and then bring it to the ideas together so we've got two approaches we for an initial episode we go away ourselves watch it take notes and then we kind of give a a breakdown of what the film was and outline scene by scene what, I, what we noticed um and then what we do is we sit down and we record ourselves watching the film together and we just comment on what we see when we're having a chat that's a bit more laid back something that you can play at the same time as you watching it yourself. Um, but if you're really looking for the really the, the nuggets and the, the, the diamonds that are hidden in these films, it's probably better off to watch the initial breakdown that we go through because that's a bit more in depth. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, that, this one's going to be a good one. Do you, do you have any previews on what, what the next ones are going to be? Uh, we've discussed the possibility of having Highlander, which is a big one. Highlander, possibly a double feature of Highlander 1 and 2. 
because they flow into each other so well and the symbolism in those films is amazing. Like, I think if you watched any movie from the 80s and early 90s, you knew exactly what was happening in the 2020s. Right, right. Oh, that's awesome. That's exciting. Oh, man. I want to, can I throw a movie at you and maybe you can, you can add it to your list? Please do. The Network. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good one. Great movie. Very underrated movie, but everyone knows that speech scene because they've mm-hmm. seen it a thousand times, yeah. but they just don't know where it's from. When we sat down and watched it and we saw that, that piece of it, it was like, they're telling us, they are telling us what's happening right now. And people are just, they just watch this and they think, oh, it's just a movie. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more than that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and um, I'll throw this one out there. Harrison Bergeron. Oh. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Or no, I am not. I've not heard of it. Okay, it's um, free. Harrison Bergeron. I'm gonna have to send you the link. Um, what's his name? Jack, Jack from Spierko. Uh, Jack Spearco. He talked about this on his podcast, but it's a show. It's a TV movie that premiered on Showtime in like 1996, and it features the gentleman that plays Rudy. What's his name? Sean Astin. <laughs> Sean Astin. Very young Sean Astin, but um, it's a very telling tale of things to come. And uh, in terms of the the where it takes place, it takes place in the future, but the future is 1950s themed. And the reason it is that way is because the government figured... Oh, that was the happiest time in American history. Oh my God. I think I've seen this and they wear like a little um, mm. Oculus thing around the head. Yes. yes. And, and they have un- secret underground things where they watch like movies and stuff from the past, right? Yeah. There's a secret organization that. Um, it's like the, sm- the, the actual smart people. The smart people that actually uh, know what's going on. I remember that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but regular society, everyone's dumb. And if you're getting an A in class, just like today. <laughs> no, you're you're fa- like no, that's not allowed. And they'll they'll like crank up your little headband to make you try and make you dumber. But uh, Harrison Bergeron, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is so crazy. I think so you guys true. would have a field day with that one. Um, I'll have to get you a link. It's on Bitchute. Um, Bitchute and Odyssey. It's really hard to find. Like you can't. But Jack Spearco uploaded it to his channel, and uh, you can watch it there. But um, yeah, you guys would have a good time, I think, doing that movie. <laughs> well, They Live was just a, a great way to start that Bob pointed out some things around the beep boop and a certain Fauci that are hidden in this film that I completely missed, and I lost it when we pointed that <laughs> out. I'm like, no! Went back after I recorded our first episode and had to say it. Oh man, we're gonna have to watch. Yeah, we're gonna have to get. We're gonna have to listen to this episode and go through it. Yeah, rewatch. They live. I I always like watching that movie. Oh yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good one to have on the shelf for sure. Do um, you find that that's a rather telling film that they decided to get a wrestler as the main actor, almost as like a joke for people to not take it seriously? Yeah, but they really should take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. it's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so is Harrison Bergeron. <laughs> for real. Well, that's awesome. Where so you're gonna um the show's gonna come out in all your RSS feeds or just gonna have its own feed? Where where can we uh, listen to it or watch it? Uh, initially, we're going to release it on all of our feeds uh, for the first two or three episodes to get a bit of a following going, and then it's going to go to its own dedicated RSS feed. So 
after episode two or three, if you really want to keep watching it, you'll have to go over and follow its own page. Nice. And I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you news. What's your favorite movie? Um, I, all right, I'm going to rephrase it. What's your favorite movie to conspiracy type movie to review other than Truman Show? Oh, God. <laughs> you, you nailed it with Truman Show. That's just, <laughs> I know. I know. You, you kill it. You know, yeah, your analysis of Truman Show um, has is good. It's great. I, I was just curious if there was another one that you just you love to dive into. Bob made it worse for me because he's kind of tipped me to being a flat earther, which I never thought I'd be in my wildest dreams. So <laughs> that one really <laughs> nailed it for me. Um, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, Robocop's pretty telling. That's a good one. It's a, just a great 80s action flick, but there's so much underlying stuff there economically and politically and um, and new age type of stuff in there that, yeah, that's a good one, a really good one. Robocop. Yeah. That is a good one. Are there any movies um, in Australia that, you know, the states aren't privy to that are kind of re revelation of the method for your people and, you know, the country of Australia that you know of? Or is there even um, like a studio or Holly Hollywood business in Australia? Yeah. The majority of American films are actually filmed in Queensland. We have ah. the cheapest, largest scale studios in the world. So a lot of films come to film here. Um, any specific title I couldn't give you that's not uh, mainstream now. Mad Max was probably the biggest one. Yeah. <laughs> like fossil, fossil fuel shortages and people descending into madness after a global conflict. That's pretty on the nose. That's so true. Oh my gosh. I haven't seen the original Mad Max in years. So I, I need to rewatch that. We should have yeah. a conspiracy movie night. Yeah, we will. It's winter. What yeah. else are we gonna do? Yeah, invite invite <laughs> Drew. I mean, you don't got you don't have snow there right now, right? No, but we did have snow like two weeks before Christmas since our summer. That's right. Yeah, that is wild. Yeah, you guys are full. I'm gonna ask you a totally random question out of the blue. Do, do you pay attention to the sky? Like, what what constellations are in the sky? If you, if you could name them out, because our our sky is totally different. We're in the winter sky right now. And your um, guys' winter or summer sky. I'm just curious what north too. I'm curious um, what it looks have, like. We have the saucepan, we have the Southern Cross, which just changes its position, it tilts and turns around. Um just majority of the planets we can see. But yeah, it's a weird one. Like I I couldn't I for myself, I don't have the knowledge there to see the constellations of like okay. um, Sagittarius and all those types of things, but I'm also keeping an eye on the sky and what it's doing weather-wise. That's the big interesting thing. We have essentially right. had a 2022 without a summer. <laughs> well, oh. <laughs> that's and wild. We're only starting to get warm-ish weather now um, in 2023. But, yeah, we essentially had flooding and cold weather and overcast conditions for most of last year to the point where most of my vegetables never actually came to yield. Like broccoli just went straight to seed. Um, my kale just grew out and I had to pull it out. Everything went to the point where it had root shock from being so wet or it had one day of slightly warm weather and it quickly went straight to seed because it didn't, knew it didn't have enough time. Holy cow. That is crazy. And I assume they were spraying or there was some kind of spraying going on or not. 
don't know. Well, that's the interesting thing. We don't see a lot of spraying here. Huh. The, the little, little connection I've found was every time I saw heavy spraying from the likes of uh, Moral Bob or from Adam or from Chud, stuff that they'd share, within a day or two, we'd have the biggest, wettest downpours in Australia. So whether huh. whatever is happening in the Northern Hemisphere is affecting the, the lower hemisphere, like it's ha- like a balancing act that has to happen, I'm not sure because when we were having those really wet seasons, you guys in the majority of the states were in what was considered a drought. Interesting. And now it seems like California, I, I'm sure, I don't know if you've noticed or you, you probably have, but California, Northern California especially, the whole West Coast is just getting hammered with rain and just cold and we're we're getting hammered with snow and cold and it seems like you guys are just starting to heat up so uh there's that or cooled down no they're in summer oh you're in summer yeah i get i get it messed up yeah so oh that's that's an interesting thought i wonder if we're robbing the moisture out of your air to pay us i don't know i'm not not sure I've toyed with the idea that harp is projecting beams at certain points and it actually transfers it to other parts of the planet, like some kind of a stargate system. Oh, yeah. Who knows? That is wild. Oh my gosh. It, it, crazy, crazy realm we're living in. Um, it's exciting, but uh, at the same time, yikes. <laughs> this is weird, weird shit going on. Uh, pardon my French. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say something and my, I lost my train of thought, Uh-oh. but uh, no, summer is fun. Enjoy it. Yeah. I'm, I miss <laughs> spring and summer. Yeah. I don't know when we'll get it. It'll probably be July. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, I don't enjoy summer too much. I'm a ginger, so I'm, I'm adverse to the sun. It's not my friend. <laughs> you'll be, you'll be all right. Just don't, don't wear sunscreen. You'll, you'll get used to it. Sun, sunscreen's cancer. It makes things worse. <laughs> It's at the point where all my freckles are turning into a tan anyway, so <laughs> far off. They're just starting to connect together. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so funny. Um, you kind of briefly touched on it, uh, growing your own food. Um, you have, it seems like you have a bright future in terms of acquiring a bunch of land and and being on your own. Is Are there any other steps that you and your wife are taking towards being more self self-sufficient? at this time um i'm big on the permaculture side of things so it's almost like a little petri dish out backyard now everything we've got at the moment even though it's small scale so i've got my traditional raised garden beds um where we grow majority of your standard vegetables um we've got fruits but i'm delving into a lot of the first nations um edibles so australian berries australian fruits um edible flowers all that type of stuff so that's my goal at the moment. I've got a little native garden that runs the full length of our house on one side of our property where every plant there has a either a medicinal use or a food use. So wow. it looks like a nice, lovely garden, but it can be used for something. Wonderful. That is that is awesome. Yeah, it's it can be overwhelming trying to learn what herbs do what and how can I how can I turn this thing into something that heals me? But just little by little, um, learn that knowledge little by little and like michelle from michelle's healing home says you know take three plants and just learn about those three plants and when you feel comfortable move on to you know three more plants and 
that's, you know, that is, that's awesome that you're taking those steps and it's important. It really is. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to grow things up here. <laughs> it's really hard with, uh, it's hard to grow nice. It's hard when there's like maybe three, four months of a growing season and yeah, it's greenhouse is the way to go. I think, I don't know, one day we'll have one, but for now I'm just doing it indoors. It works. Um, yeah, that's great. Keep doing what you're doing, Drew. Hey, the lucky thing is though, Monsanto and Bill Gates have actually joined to make a type of wheat that grows in frost areas. So, and snow. So you're fine. It has a special film around it that stops it from freezing. Oh my God. But, so as long as you're happy about genetically modified organisms growing everywhere, you'll be fine, right? Oh, wonderful. That's fantastic. <laughs> what a humanitarian he is. Wonderful, He really wonderful is Billy the Gates. savior. Oh my God. Oh, that is wonderful. I'll have to look into that. <laughs> I and, thought I couldn't uh, hate that guy anymore. Now I really, really hate him. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to get some of that in the ground, and uh, I'm sure the deer will eat it, and then they're gonna th- they're gonna grow like a another tit or like another leg, and um, two heads. Yeah, it's it's gonna get it's gonna get wild More up in here. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just on Bill Gates, I've got to throw a film title at you guys to watch because it's so on the nose of what's happening right now. Go for Have it. Have you ever seen The Omen, The Final Cut, The Final Conflict? The Omen, as in so like, Damien? So Dame, Damien, he's all grown up. He owns a Monsanto-type corporation where he has gem- genetically modified food that grow in drought famine areas because the world's going through traumatic climate change oh shit and he owns a company like a microsoft so he can track everyone's thoughts and how they view him and everything like that and he also becomes the president oh so it's like this really weird amalgamation of like a uh elon musk and a bill gates with a third person that's should be coming out anytime soon now i'm expecting to be the antichrist it's really really spot on to what's happening now even a worldwide virus is depicted in that whoa what year did this come out Oh God, this would have been Sam Neill. I think it came out in Sam Neill. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. I'm just double checking. It came out eighty one. Oh wow. The Omen the, final. Cut. The ori- okay. This isn't the original Omen. That was in the seventies, I think. Yeah, so it's the Antichrist Damien Thorne becomes a US ambassador to Britain. And he's hell bent on world domination, but he owns all these corporation things off the side to help him out. Oh my gosh! Okay, we're definitely gonna have to watch that. I've seen the original Omen, and they've done you know the remake of it later in two, early two thousands or something. Oh, actually, it came out. I remember this because I went to the theater. The remake of the Omen in the states. It came out on June sixth, two thousand six. So it was six six six, and I was I was so stoked about that because you know I was some freaking devil loving um, piece of crap, and I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna go see that movie and be a rebel. But I didn't know about this uh, Omen final cut. We're gonna yeah, we're gonna pull that up for sure. That sounds. You're tempting fate with that one. I'd be, I'd be expecting going into the cinema and your face melting off like Indiana Jones or something just because it's on that date. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was messed up. We were, but, uh... we were really, we were like into dark stuff. Not like we no. didn't worship the devil. Yeah, I wasn't anything, like sacrificing we were, cats. We were like, you know, like 
metalheads and not nothing wrong with being a metalhead we were just like alternative i guess people we thought we were alternative we were just basically following the trend we were idiots simple as that (laughs) (laughs) no thank you for that that movie we're gonna for sure we're gonna pop that on and sam neill jurassic park right yep that's it okay yeah it's on i want to watch that now i'm totally interested (laughs) drew this has been an amazing conversation um let's get into your song choices that you sent us pretty excited do you want to list them off so your your first your first song choice is time in a bottle by jim croach or croce jim croach yeah why'd you choose this song um i always liked his music and as an artist he was kind of cut short in his career like he he died so young and he he wasn't so much young when he died but he became prominent in his music ability later in life and then he died so quickly in his career um yeah big bad boy leroy brown those those types of songs he did but time in a bottle is just a fantastic musical piece well said yeah and i was excited about your second choice because i mentioned to you i don't think anyone's picked a incubus song yet um and you know they're total total mainstream but you know what they got some good stuff um prior to i don't know what was that album with the grenade on it oh uh anomaly or that's the album with anomaly on it yeah, yeah whatever that one is but you chose wish you were here by incubus which is a fantastic song what what made you choose that one it just reminds me of high school every time I hear it. It takes me back yeah. to being a kid with an electric guitar in a garage with mates trying to make a band because we thought we were awesome and trying to learn as many Incubus covers as we possibly could. Heck yeah. Um, it's hard for me to pick a favorite Incubus song, but the two that really stood out to me are um, 11 AM, which I think is on that album that Wish You Were Here is on, and then uh, Megalomaniac is... Uh, one of my other favorites. That's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. And your your last one is from Hollow Notes, which I, I like Hollow Notes too. I think they're pretty good. <laughs> it's you make you make my dreams. Why did you choose this one? That's my wife and I's first dance. Oh that was, yeah, that was our song at our wedding. That is so cute. Oh, that's romantic. I love that. That yeah, that's enough said. That's awesome. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. Um, Drew, thank you so much for taking the time and spending your your morning late morning with us um is there anything else you want to plug or share uh here here's the time to do so um yeah just go across and follow on the socials so you're missing the point um on instagram and you'll be able to find a link to my show there where mine's more of just an interview platform show where i speak to people that i find really interesting um then there's the show with Andy and Moral Bob, which is Conspiracy Theater 3000, which is on its way out, just doing the last few minute editing things. And my brand new podcast with the lovely Kaylee, The Homeroom, Educating Educators, which we are popping out new episodes soon. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to what is to come from you. And um, yeah, thank you. We're so appreciative of you and your time. And just keep doing what you're doing, man. You're, you're doing good things. You're going against the grain and we both know how hard that is and um, just much respect to you. Thanks for having me guys. And you guys are absolutely kicking goals doing what you're doing. Um, like you said, we're that, 
we're the breakout generation, people who are in their mid to late 30s that are really bucking the trend of what's socially acceptable, but ironically, we're going back to traditional roots and things that are, are morally right and actually going to help the planet. So well done. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, let's just continue to just be ourselves sure. and fight, fight the good fight. <laughs> All right, y'all. Remember, Vegemite the capital. <laughs> Vegemite the capital, guys. Hell yeah. <laughs> right on well thank you so much thank you everyone who is listening and watching until next time peace peace see you guys